You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with always. Typical Lydia. Today's show, we're going to be doing the 1984 undisputed cult classic, Chud. Chud, that made like four times its money in the box office, but it's a little tiny, tiny, tiny amount of money. So yeah, it was such a well-executed film. I'm so shocked that it wasn't bigger than it was. But yeah, the cult, the cult, the Chud cult, the fact that Chud is a derogatory word that people call one another around the fucking world. And I bet you that only one-tenth of them have seen the film. Do you know if the term chud is... Does it predate this film or does it originate with this film? Is this one of those words that existed and then they created an acronym around it? Or is it the other way around? For other uses, see chud, disambiguation. I'm going to look on Wikipedia. Chud oh. is an East Slavic word for medieval Finnic peoples. Yeah, that's really it. I mean, look up Chud in Wiktionary. It's gonna say that it's a, a slovenly person. Mm-hmm. The etymology comes from a word, it's an obsolete word, mean to champ or to bite, so to champ at the bit, which must, many people mistakenly say chomp at the bit, but yeah. It is an obsolete word. And the past participle of chud is chudded. So the horse chudded. had chudded at this bite so often that it is now dented. Um, chud, plural, chuds, which I do not believe. I think that the, the, the plural of chud is chud, like moose. A gross, physically unappealing person. It does not have a date on that particular etymology, but that comes from the science fiction horror movie Chud. Which, of course, we know means cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers, for the most part. Mm-hmm. And yes, it is just the U.S. slang of chud, physically gross, unappealing person, which all comes from chud, the film. But that uh, unused word of chud to mean to champ or bite, which is so interesting that that word actually fits. I wonder if the filmmakers had looked so far back in the etymology of the word chud to know that it means to bite, which is uh, their principal means of attack. Spoiler warning. <laughs> uh, that's absolutely fascinating to me. Second of all, uh, I can't believe that I've been saying chomp at the bit this whole time. And it's, what is it again? Champ at the bit? Champ, champing at the bit. Wow, this kind of reminds me of, of when I was a teenager and I said, nip it in the butt all the time. And then a teacher corrected me, it's bud. And I said, oh, so I'm getting educated today. Yep. N many people say that same thing and you'll still hear people today say chomp or butt, nip it in the butt, which is, you know, it, it works with the purple Smurf episode of the Smurfs nip it in the butt because that's what they did but yeah it is bud and you know we've heard all sorts of those i forget what they're called like a, a beagle something i forget the word for it um but there is a word for when people say things wrong i do know that there's no greater way to embarrass me 
than correcting a popular turn of phrase that I've been saying wrong the whole time because I'm pretty self-conscious about my use of language. I think it comes from having a lot of learning disabilities and it was really, it took me a really long time to learn how to read and uh, yeah, yeah, so particularly in name pronunciation, if I've been doing that wrong because I've, I've never heard someone's name or I've never heard the name of a thing but I've only ever read it, it gets me a, a little bit. Um, when I was a little kid, I had a hard time reading the word fudge Faduji or whatever the hell I used to call it and I remember reading a book about I think it was just like a youth novel like you know one of those scholastic book type things and the premise of the book was that a kid moves into a neighborhood and witchy magic-y things are happening because there's an old woman who's her new neighbor and and this woman makes magical fudge that turns you into animals and it doesn't you can't control what kind of animal you turn into i don't think uh and the whole time i was reading the book i was like fungi i kept reading it as fungi or fungi or whatever the hell and i want to say almost towards the end of the book my little kid brain was like oh it's fudge that's the word but because of the, I was really enjoying the book and my imagination had already decided what fungi or fungi was, I just said to myself, you know what? I don't like that it's fudge. I'm just going to change it back to what I thought it was in my mind. So there you go. Here's a little story from a youth. Fudge. Fudge. I, I had a hard time pronouncing detritus for most of my adult life uh, until I saw it spelled and someone speak it at the same time it was probably a subtitle scenario and then i was like oh and now i can't remember how i used to pronounce it fun fact <laughs> that I, I i said it some other way and i had that with the word rhetoric and it wasn't until i'd seen somebody mm -hmm. spell rhetoric wrong that i put two and two together because i didn't know what the spelling of that word was but i knew what the word rhetoric meant or rhetorical mm -hmm. and I saw somebody say uh, like I can't get behind their rhetoric and they spelt it R-E-D-D-E-R-E-C-K or some shit like that <laughs> and I was like oh, wow okay now I know what what word that is and how to pronounce not rhetoric which is not unacceptable but everyone says rhetoric like it has a D in there yeah they really do I as, as an adult and this is the last were, I promise this is the last example I'm going to give. As an adult reading the news for CKDJ and, and CHRI, uh, rural, I had the worst time pronouncing rural, rural. I, I, I just, my mouth wanted to fucking fall apart trying to do that. And unfortunately, when there was stories, which happened quite a bit in Ontario, that happened in rural Ottawa, rural... Stitzville, all this kind of shit, I would have to just muddle my way through it. And it was a huge source of anxiety for me because I'd be like, fuck, there's that word again. Try saying it with a French rural dar, rural. That's rural. even harder. Now, <laughs> I, this will be my last one as well, where getting a saying wrong, doggy dog world. I had a director at a museum that for most of her adult life, thought it was a doggy dog world, like a happy thing. Like it's just a doggy dog world. And we're from where I sit, there ain't enough damn dogs. 
Oh my god. I don't mean to fucking laugh, but that's precious. You know what? Fuck it. It is. And when she told me that, it was after her realization because her husband at the time had said, whoa, wait, where do you, where do you think that's from? It's not doggy dog world, like happy petting dogs, little happy scamper pups all around you. It's dog eat dog world. And wow. she was mortified. And he's like, I'll show you the film it's from. So they proceeded to. And she was mortified. And it's still, though, in her head, she wants to say doggy dog world as if it's a happy thing. Because it was ingrained in her until her mid-twenties, if not late-twenties. I don't see why it can't be dog-eat-dog world. When it's a bad thing, it's a dog-eat-dog world. But when it's a good thing, oh man, ain't it just a dog-eat-dog world out there? I like it. I like it too. I like dog-eat-dog world. <laughs> there um, uh, enough of one thing in this life, Lydia. And that is love for the film Chud. But... Before we get into it, what what sort of things have we been watching or what sort of things have we been uh, doing horror related uh, with our time leading up to the episode? So do you got anything for us? You got uh, some horror movies or any recommendations or anything like that? Hell yes. I had attempted to see the film The Sadness. Chris has been very excited to see the film The Sadness and it has been a hype it has been hyped it has been the buzz in this household and many others for over a year now canadian director does this taiwanese film gorgeous idea hyper violent i'm down with the hyper violent and we had tried to see it and then it was it's playing at the mayfair i believe this weekend if not last weekend which is really cool but we had a disc coming to us hot off the press at raven banner so we got to watch it, and it is on Shutter as well. So if the disc came too late, we could have watched it on Shutter. So it is on Shutter, and it is beautiful. You had mentioned a few episodes ago about the most violent shit. Maybe it was even just the last episode. The most violent shit that you had seen in the the most recent Chainsaw Massacre film, and just how gorgeous it is, and how wonderful it is, and just like yes, more blood. The sadness is very brutal and it is brutal to the level of the crossed story, the crossed uh, graphic novels. Very, very, very brutal and very, very, very bloody and depraved, but it is a masterpiece in gore and I loved it. It was super fun. The story is compelling and if you've seen enough sort of dystopian zero day zombie shit that with ragers, you know, fast moving, angry, uh, with it, zombies that are sentient and aware and angry, uh, then you, you know how the story is going to kind of pan out. But it's always fun to see that pan out all over the screen in that one color. We love blood red. And yeah, it was very gory. Loved it. Have you seen The Sadness? As a matter of fact, I have. I watched it uh, when I got home from work when it premiered on Shudder. It was originally a, a bit of a veto process in my household for things uh, that I think Cass might enjoy, but I'm getting the feeling might have things in it that they don't want to watch. And so uh, I, I said, yeah, I don't want to go into this blind. I knew very little about the film 
I didn't know until I was watching it and I had pulled up the Wikipedia as I, it's an awful habit that I have, but it's something that I do constantly now is I pull up the Wikipedia as I'm watching a film and had seen that it was highly inspired by the comic book series Crossed. It's a series that I'm also very familiar with. So right then and there, I said to myself, eh, might be a little rapey. And certainly is. And so if that's something that people don't want to see, it's not... The, the violence is graphic. That aspect of it is less graphic, although it's quite obvious what's happening in certain scenes in particular. So that's something to, to uh, pay attention to if that's something that you just don't want to engage with. And I completely understand and respect that. But... All that being said, uh, I also really enjoyed the film. I thought the violence and, and gore was very interesting. The story is quite simplistic, but I think that works for what it is. Um, I remember talking to you about why is it that when we see people lose control, when we see people tapping into their basic instincts, it does sort of manifest exclusively as violence and likely because filmmakers don't want to touch that other aspect of it. This film absolutely goes for the throat in all aspects of the most depraved thing that you could think of a human being doing to another person. The, the, they can all use tools. They are all completely within their faculties, but it, it is this beyond rage uh, virus uh, feverment and it's it's it it really was incredible, and I and I completely understand why it was getting the buzz that it was getting. And I uh, did tell one of my friends at work uh, who was asking about horror movies, as people tend to, as I'm sure you know, it's like when people know that you do this type of shit, podcasts and stuff, they they want your opinion on that kind of crap, and. Uh, I just showed him a poster for the sadness. I hadn't even seen it yet, but I just, I, I have a feeling this is going to be the horror movie that people are talking about. Rue Morgue magazine called it the most violent and depraved zombie movie ever. And I would argue anyone to find me an example of a more extreme zombie film. And even if they do find a more, an, an equally extreme zombie film, like you could suggest dead alive. Uh, I think it'd be down to semantics at that point because it's it is just at the maximum bug fuck hysteria that I've ever seen uh, a movie like that. So much so that I honestly felt like in some scenes I was watching something that like Sushi Typhoon would fucking release. Yep, that's about the equation I came up with as well. I mean, Wormwood's fairly graphic and fun, but there's a comedic aspect to that and to Dead Alive where those one-liners come out and, and lighten the mood to a certain extent or assist you in heightening your disbelief because it is just so wacky where everything in the sadness is very realistic and any of the dialogue that's happening especially during sexual assault or any of the other more depraved scenes uh, are not comedic and they're not you know non sequiturs they are reinforcing the hatred and depravity 
every line of dialogue that's happening during these very violent scenes and they're usually not lines of dialogue from the victims either they're lines of dialogue from the antagonist so it's very chilling and unfortunately very very realistic as far as hyper violent crimes go and all of the worst shit you've ever heard on the most naked true crime documentaries is sort of jam-packed into there as far as what sort of very vile shit people can do to one another and beyond because it's the sadness mm -hmm. because it's fiction right i've heard a lot of people mistakenly say that it's like uh, a remake or it is a an adaptation of crossed and it's not at all but it is very similar and there is it is inspired mm -hmm. by that sort of level of depravity and i've always said with cross like this would be i would love to see this but this is impossible to bring to film not so here it is this sort of level of hyper violent extreme horror and that's what it is it's hyper hyper violent extreme horror so if anyone goes into it expecting anything different i i worry for them mm -hmm. <laughs> i do i worry for them yeah, so we both saw the sadness. Uh, anything else on your end? Well, it was Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. Hey, hey, we watched a Friday the 13th film. I mean, why not? Might as well. We chose Jason Lives because it's the one that I've seen the least of. And it is very fun. I like a fun Friday the 13th film. And there's certain ones that are off the table in this house. We have watched them all. We've watched the box set over the last year, of course. And like basically back to back when it showed up in the house and it was wonderful so we have seen everything lately and the uh fan films mm -hmm. that are on youtube as well so we can we we have a very full friday the 13th and jason sort of docket over the last year but it was friday the 13th so why the hell not we watched jason lives did you watch any friday the 13th yesterday uh no i didn't uh i kept meaning to but i honestly was just i had a plan i was gonna get home and i was gonna watch some friday the 13th or i wanted to pop in the friday the 13th nes game it doesn't take long to beat it if you know how so i was just gonna take 10 15 minutes because that's really all it takes to beat it and i was gonna play that just for fun maybe make a little TikTok about it but it, my apartment is just so hot right now and i just was not in the mood and so I got home from work yesterday and I watched The Sadness and then afterwards I was just so hot and cranky that I didn't want to do anything else and so I just went to sleep and then when I woke up uh, I remembered that I was to watch um, Chud. So I watched Chud because I, I mean obviously I've seen it a half dozen or so times but wanted to be fresh in my mind and so I watched that and then, and then I watched uh, a bit of The Last Drive-In with Joe Bob Briggs, but I had seen both of the films before, so it didn't really have my full attention, and I didn't end up finishing it. I just went to bed because I had to be up for podcasting. So long story short, I did not, and I'm a massive Friday the 13th fan, and that's an embarrassment, but I just thought, I was like, you know what? It's fine. I can watch a Jason movie any time that I want, and uh, I'm glad that you watched Jason Lives. Uh, for the longest time, if you were to ask Chibi West what his favorite Friday the 13th movie was that was probably it hmm. because it was Jason at his most cartoonish that's got the 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 James Bond intro that's got maggot Jason it's got just so many ridiculous 
kills one after the other. Uh, and I remember the first time I watched it, in my mind, I was, I, I was like, now this is a Friday the 13th movie. I was very much enamored with seeing Jason Voorhees fully formed in my kid brain. Because remember, when you're a little kid, at least when you were like a kid my age, by the time I was cognitive of and had the ability to watch horror movies, Jason, that had come and gone. Like uh, the newest film that was out at the time was like Jason Goes to Hell. So we were nine films in before I had seen any of it. And my, my first encounter with Jason would have been looking at images of him in either uh, Fangoria uh, or any, or something like that. And so Jason Liz was the Jason that I was expecting to see all those films leading up to it. Uh, or, or I just wanted him to be like a superhero. And in six, I feel like that's Jason Voorhees, the superhero in a weird way. Oh no, that makes a lot of sense. That's a, that's his rebirth. That's exactly when he would have become a superhero, entirely. All he's missing is a cape at that point. Because he's got super strength, he can regenerate. He's fucking immortal. Like he is a fully realized, fully realized thing. Is is what I so that's really cool. Um, anything else? No, that is that. I had watched Chud again over the last week. And you had said, you know, half a dozen times at least. I, I That makes a lot of sense. And most people have watched it that much. Uh, I'm sure Thomas, who has requested this film, has watched Chud more <laughs> than both of us put together. And thank you, Thomas, for hanging out as ever and requesting a movie I cannot fucking believe we have not talked about before. Like, honestly, I've only watched it. I think this was probably my third or fourth time watching it because I watched it as a young teen. And then I watched it uh, maybe five or six years ago, revisiting it, and was kind of blown away that I hadn't watched it in that interim because it is so it is so good, really, honestly. And it is one of the few cult films where I really get it. I really get why this is so lauded and so beloved. Chud too, but the Chud not so much. But Chud, I get it and i love it and i think that it is due for a resurgence uh via v eco horror that is becoming popular in books at least these days chud for me was a film that always just seemed to be on television either at midnight showings or it would creep into october month viewing for either network cable or some of the movie networks it just always seemed like it was on um and so sitting down and watching chud was something that oh it's sunday afternoon or it's fucking friday and i should be in bed but you know midnight movie so i'm gonna stay up super late and i'm gonna watch chud with commercials which is not a short experience like chud is is, is not a breezy film in some parts there's a lot of um, a lot of character, a lot of dialogue, a lot of men in suits sitting around discussing things. And so you really want that payoff of the monsters themselves. And when they come, it's usually pretty delightful. And they spatter it in enough to keep a, a, a kids uh, entertained. But I had no idea that it had such a ravenous cult following. Can you mean a kid you don't know this type of stuff? You just see a movie and 
it seems that when you were to bring up Chud uh, with a horror fan, everyone seems pretty excited to talk about it. I've never really met anyone that had said that they don't like it. But what I do know is the second that you step outside of a horror fan, they do not know what this fucking movie is at all. Yeah, and even the name itself, especially with the periods in between each word as it is an acronym, it it just smacks of insider baseball. Like, have you seen Chud? Have I seen what? C-H-U-D? <laughs> and then if you ramble <laughs> off what it stands for, they're just like, what the fuck? No, thank you. Go away. Um, and looking at the cover, it looks... It, the cover looks more Neon Demon sci-fi more 80s futurist than it ought to look really i love the cover of chud always love the cover of chud in the video rental stores it's one that i had to like stop myself from picking up all the time even though i had only seen it the once i knew what it was and it was it felt like a one and done film in my early teens to my mid-teens or late 20s actually but the cover itself is so compelling just that idea of a glowing-eyed creature crawling out of the sewer. It's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for, for adults. I love it. I love the look of that cover. But yeah, someone outside of I'm, horror looks at that cover and says, uh, no thanks. I definitely was going to make the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comparison because if you remember what that Ninja Turtles poster looked like uh, and you look at Chud, I have... This is kind of embarrassing. This is my bare-bones... DVD uh, Midnight Madness series release of Chud that I have. I don't have it on Blu-ray or anything. This I've had this DVD in my collection for an extremely long time. Uh, and I honestly uh, couldn't imagine... Uh, I couldn't imagine why I haven't upgraded it at this point. I might have to do that because I was... This doesn't even have fucking subtitles. Right, I, I, so I had this thing, my damn TV volume cranked to like 70, just so I could hear the dialogue at a reasonable level. And I just, I was like, why don't I have the Arrow version? Why don't I have just a Blu-ray version that I can, no special features, there's nothing on it. There's not even a trailer. <laughs> it's just like, hey Wes, you wanted this version, you wanted a Chud on DVD, so you get Chud on DVD and nothing else. You want to know how they made this movie? You're going to have to research it yourself. So very funny, but no, yeah, it, it has a cover that evokes like ghoulies or hobgoblin or spookies, or you're going to watch fucking, I don't know, gremlins almost, or uh, anything like that. Any sort of subterranean creature features. This film though i associate very heavily with new york grime this is a very dirty sleazy version of new york all the homeless people look like they're from fucking life stinks or something like that uh or almost dickensian and soot covered and uh even even when they're washing themselves off they still just have a permanent layer of dirt on them that cannot be extracted. Uh, and, and so in, in that sense, it reminds me a lot of Nightmare or it reminds me a lot of Driller Killer or uh, film Basket Case, just films that just look 
dirty and they're all set in New York. Yeah, where everything is grimy post the resurgence or renaissance of New York, especially downtown. It's when it was very dangerous. Crime was spiraling out of control, or so we've been told. And films like Taxi Driver is uh, eponymous with that time and that sort of filmmaking. And it fits right in there, although it's often left out because it's chud. I wish that it had a different title. I really do. If they had called it Underground, then it would have had a whole different spin on it. I think that sticking with the title Chud, unfortunately, was the biggest mistake this film made as far as its popularity, because it is a serious film. And being filmed the way it is, it's a very distinctly New York film with a very distinctly New York story. I think it would have fit in better with those grimy old-timey, dangerous New York films, and it's often forgotten. It is, particularly when you're comparing it to films that don't have um, that don't have uh, monsters in them, because this is a, a sci-fi creature feature uh, more than anything else. Uh, let me ask you this, Lids. How many times in your life have you told someone what the acronym CHUD meant? Well, I often remain mute when people have things deliciously wrong uh, it depends on the person but i think maybe four times in my life i've mm-hmm. been uh, professor peaver and enlightened people as to what chud stands for maybe but it's usually within horror conversations not just randomly and certainly not when somebody refers to somebody as a chud because i think of them as somewhat separate because they're using it as the slang right so yeah maybe three times maybe three times in my life i've said even even said the full acronym i feel i've seen it more because i love to be professor professorton who loves to explain things i've even had to explain it in the comment section of my teresa comic because uh i have i threw a chud reference into the comic book uh, when uh, a, a certain type of demon attacks these uh, brothers in their household, uh, the older brother is like, what is this, a fucking chud? Like, and someone in the comment section is like, what's a chud? And I just <laughs> I just wrote what the acronym meant. I've, I know I've explained it to several people over the years, and it was definitely one of, when I was much younger, one of the types of horror trivia that I loved that I knew off the top of my head what it meant, even though it's a very simple acronym. But, you know, when you're a little kid and you want to be a know-it-all kid, like a precocious child, uh, this type of information is like crack cocaine, man. You just love it. And for your follow-up bonus question, we're going to win a new car. What is the other meaning of Chud? It is... Uh contaminate wait hang on a second here contamination h fucking urban fucking i don't remember what the h is contamination or the urban uh just not destroyer disposal urban disposal what the fuck does the h stand for and for the h oh you want to give it one more time wes you can win a new car it is contamination, <laughs> hazardous, oh. urban, uh, Very close. now disposal. 
It's yeah, contamination hazard, urban disposal. That's right. I feel like they had the cannibalistic humanoid underground dweller acronym first. The second part is something that many who've watched this movie several times forget. I was trying to quiz myself earlier to see if I could recall it on a, on a dime and I couldn't. I had to look it up again. The urban disposal part was the easier part. And I guess we're getting ahead of ourselves as far as the plot of this film to talk about the second meaning for the acronym CHUD. But they do talk about undergrounders and I will always maintain that underground or undergrounders or even underneath or something like that would have been such a much better title for this. Like it's fun and it's quirky to have Chud as your title for your movie. But as far as saleability, they needed another pass in marketing to, to talk about the title of this film, I think an underground or undergrounders would have been much better suited. Yeah, I, I actually tend to agree because when you look at the title Chud, as a horror fan, you look at it and you hear it and you say to yourself, oh yeah, this is going to be a piece of shit. This is going to be like Spookies or Hobgoblin or something akin to that. It's a silly title that ha that for a not so silly movie, it's, it's, it's pretty damn serious considering what the fucking plot is about but the plot oh, sorry the title makes it sound like it's a sillier movie very much so but fuck all that lids what is this movie even about anyways this movie is a great example of where you ought to do your own research you need to get down on the street put your ear to the ground and figure out what is going on and don't believe any of those lies that the man is telling you and the cops you know they're no help they're no help at all what you got to do is you got to go down and you got to talk to the people you got to talk to the people and find out what's going on and stop this shit before they destroy more lives and don't listen to a word the man is telling you and this ties in really well to a lot of our talk with the crazies uh, on our last episode because you get men in suits, rabble, rabble, government agencies not telling you fucking shit. And this would be right in line with the don't believe the, the lies that the government is telling you specifically like the CDC <laughs> and steer clear of that, go down and figure it out for yourself. Because that is basically the premise of this. There is something fucking going on in the sewers of New York and it is up to a cop and a plucky photographer to figure out what is really going down. There is uh, lots of characters in this film, and those characters have entire portions of the movie to themselves and only converge really towards the end. And it shows a level of discipline that I really enjoy. At first, I found it very frustrating because the kid in me just wants John Hurd and Daniel Stern to be in scenes together because of Home Alone. And, and I just, and, and so the fact that so much of this was not happening together when I was younger uh, frustrated me quite a bit. But as I became older, I really, really enjoyed the structure of this movie. And it really makes it seem like this 
chud situation is affecting a lot of different people simultaneously and each one of them are trying to get to the bottom of it in their own way and you have police officers you have journalists you have government uh people uh, nuclear waste disposal people and then regular citizens this this person is a photographer who is a commercial photographer but fancies himself as something of an artiste and so he takes glossy eight by tens of lots of different things and one of his subjects seems to be the uh the underground dwellers the homeless population that lives in the sewers and abandoned subway stations and abandoned storm drains uh i was talking to uh, my partner a little bit about this because this is a real thing uh, new york is an extremely old city and it is a city that has been built on top of itself several times and things have been shut down and disconnected and it has meant that there is entire underground areas of the city that are hazardous and have no facilities uh there's no power to them or anything like that but if you were a person with nowhere else to go you could make your way through there and be relatively unbothered and so the sewers in New York are not just for the teenage turtles, Lydia. They're also for the homeless population. And both likely enjoy pizza. The homeless population, there's a documentary that covers it. Uh, the mole people, they're often called. So if you've heard that term, speaking of other terms like chud that are misused or misappropriated, uh, mole people is a, a term used. There's a documentary called Dark Days that was made in 2000 that covers a lot of these people and granted many populations have been relocated like they do you know and i believe that a lot of the park parks that have been taken over with tent villages so to speak are because of relocation from underground areas but i also used to follow a location manager a location scout that specialized in strange locations in New York and I followed their Instagram for a very long time and it was fascinating how many like airplane hangers or, or complete cathedrals and fucking shit that is abandoned mm -hmm. in New York let alone the underground locations and stations that are unused mm -hmm. used rarely or forgotten about or have mm -hmm. partially collapsed or things like that and there are a lot of those places that have been gentrified and that have been fixed again, but there's still countless others that are ready to be discovered again because, like you said, New York is being built on top of itself and has for decades. So it's not it's not unheard of for people to find uh, unused stations, unused shopping malls, unused cathedrals, unused bowling alleys, unused large spaces, let alone completely sealed up shoe stores or apartments that haven't been opened for decades and are sort of a time capsule and this like is completely not unbelievable and i think that another problem with the chud film and its name being chud is it's sort of disingenuous in a way because it it makes it sound like it's complete fiction when it's not mm -hmm. there there really are people and there really are photographers that have done photojournalistic studies of 
homeless people in New York and the streets of New York. And there's, there's many, many series covering the people of New York. And these are people through and through. So it's, it's a, it's a wonderful idea and it's a wonderful, they're wonderful people to get to meet, I'm sure. So I really like this photojournalist, this, this fashion photographer that is leaning into photojournalism. And I really enjoy this character even though it, sometimes it's kind of not played for laughs, but it is the, the fictionality of it is heightened when it ought not be. If you're interested in the mole people, go watch Dark Days. Yes, absolutely. Do watch that. When when John Hurd's character is introduced, he is really introduced as somebody who takes photography extremely seriously. He, they have a room dedicated in their apartment, him and his uh, girlfriend, uh, he's got his own dark room. You know, he is. Uh, but then also to cover bills, he has to sell products, sell perfume. And his girlfriend happens to be a model. And while all of this is going on, we are introduced to a police detective who is uh, whose wife and family dog went missing one late night as she walked near a sewer lid and it does kind of evoke the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles if they were murderers uh, and so this sparks uh, a bunch of missing people reports and so the, the detective Vosh uh, is now going into his own investigation trying to figure out why the homeless population is so scared there is something that they lean kind of heavily on into the film in which why does an old bag lady need a gun and i just kept thinking because it's new york they're homeless they're out late at night i don't understand why they wouldn't want a gun just for safety you don't need a, a mutant sewer monster to need a gun in 1984 new york no, you're very right. And I had the same sort of thought watching it. So I don't know if there was any sort of uh, difference in the attitudes towards guns and gun ownership in 1984 in New York specifically. If it maybe was more of a rarity for people to be packing, as the kids say. So maybe it was an oddity and we're out of the loop because we're watching this from, you know that distance of time and I'm a country girl so cities are, are very weird to me to begin with and I've only lived in one for the the last quarter of my life so to, so to speak and I don't mingle too too much I mean I was probably in my mid-20s before I saw steam rising from a sewer grate and thought oh wow it's not just in movies because <laughs> I'd never fucking seen that <laughs> luckily Chud brings that steamy nighttime hot downtown New York steaming sewer thing to life in the most theatrical way. But maybe a homeless woman needing a gun at the time was an oddity. And maybe, I don't know, are, are, do, does the homeless population typically carry weapons outside of knives? Because I know knives are very, very popular and have been since the beginning of knives amongst those who need to defend themselves and haven't got much to fall back on and they're living a hard scrabble life and sleeping rough uh, knives are very very popular there but guns maybe not so much aside from the being cost prohibitive that i could see why having a gun might be a little bit more rare i gotta tell you this whole film's aesthetic is just so wonderful to me i've talked about this on the show 
quite a bit, but I used to be obsessed with this grimy New York aesthetic. If a movie had it, I instantly liked it. I didn't care if it was a, a cop drama, science fiction, horror, anything. If, if it was taking place in comic books especially, if it was some kind, if it evoked the steamy sewer, burning trash can version of New York that I had in my head, cut two years later when I finally got to the streets of New York myself, all that was ancient history. And the Giuliani cleanup had happened. The gentrification of New York had happened. 42nd Street, Times Square, all that stuff is fucking Disneyland. And and I'm wondering where the burning trash cans and the homeless guy with fingerless gloves and like the pimp with like the big 70s hat. Where are all these people? Uh, this isn't the New York that I envisioned. It just looked like a bunch of yuppies walking around with Starbucks and shit. And so I do kind of lament that. And But these films allow me to enjoy that aesthetic from a safe remove, too. Because at the end of the day, I'm just like a suburban white kid, right? Like, like a middle-class suburban white kid. I wouldn't belong in an, a, a dirty... 1980s New York any more than uh, uh, than you would, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, but this film really does capture that quite well. Bosch will eventually encounter the character called the Reverend, uh, played by Daniel Stern. I absolutely love him in this film. It is such a great character. It's such a great no nonsense performance, and the the that working in a soup kitchen, caring about the homeless people, uh, characterization of him is so wonderfully done to the point in which when I was a teenager, this was the type of character I imagined myself to be. Like, yeah, man, this is all about the man trying to take us down, man. And we, and you don't care about, like you step over the cracks, man. You don't care what's in those cracks. Where in the cracks, man. I just, I just had like that, fiery attitude which has dulled a lot over time but I, I just was so enamored with Daniel Stern as the reverend in this film and the whole um relationship between between him and Bosch is quite sweet it it really uh, turns from antagonistic because at the end of the day this detective represents the man this detective represents an uh, an institution of a criminal justice system, which unfairly penalizes homeless populations and people of color and, and all that kind of shit. And so that's what he represents. And then slowly over time, once the Reverend realizes what happened to the detective's uh, wife, it grows and, and it blossoms into a very sweet friendship uh, that I really, really dug throughout the entire film. I think it's a lot of times when their their ideals converge where the idea is helping people and he's one of a rare breed of police officers Bosch is that genuinely cares about people and genuinely cares about his city. Now I say rare breed because I'm being a dick. I'm sure most police officers think like this. Uh, but according to someone like the Reverend, he would be a rare breed because the police officers he would have encountered were like the other police officers we see, which are caricatures of uncaring, cold boys in blue. And when their ideals converge, that they realize, and us at the audience at home gets to see a taste of both sides, 
that the, the point isn't uh, that the reverend's a fuck up and just wants to live the easy breezy lifestyle and run a soup kitchen. No, he genuinely cares about these people and he could have been a very different man, but he has devoted himself to helping people, specifically the undergrounders, which he has a real affinity with and a real kid glove, worried mother hen sort of uh, attitude with because they're the most vulnerable out of all the people that frequent his soup kitchen. And the police officer shares that same sort of sentimentality where, you know, these broad and overreaching rules that may seem very, very unfair are designed intrinsically to protect those very people most. And seeing them work together to try and figure out what's going on when neither of them trust the orders, so to speak, coming down from the top, neither of them trust the, the line that they're being fed by authorities bigger than the police that... NYPD is a vast overreaching avatar of the man. They really are, but they take orders uh, from many levels up and they have no real jurisdiction aside from upholding laws written down on paper. And when the, the Reverend, I think, sees that he's really no different than him. He's a middleman between those who need protection and those who are breaking rules that they really start to mesh. And I really, I like that. And Cooper, the photographer, in amongst all of that, it may start to seem like a really big cast because if you were writing these, you might be tempted to blend some of these characters. Like why not make the Reverend a photographer? He's got that street level influence and that street level uh, involvement with people that are homeless. It would just make sense to sort of blend those characters, but it becomes so much more rich when somebody completely from the outside gets the real deal and gets down in under there that is not related to the police or the shepherd and his flock. It, um, it also the fact that Cooper encounters a journalist and uh, the Bosch and the journalist character could easily just be one character. You don't you, like, but you you basically have a cop using uh, a, a soup kitchen, uh, a guy that runs a soup kitchen to get into talking to the homeless uh, population to figure try to figure out what's going on. In this case, you have uh, a journalist that is observing the cop's behavior, not Bosch, but like just the the New York police uh, in general following Cooper and, and who doesn't even know that he's being followed, doesn't even know that he has raised any alarm bells. And then he is now going to say, let me show you, let me take you down to the sewers and let me show you this. So you have these two storylines could be their own movies. Like they, they don't really need to converge. And, uh, and if you wanted to converge them, then yeah, you could just blend this cast by making two of those characters, one character, or even, four of those characters into two characters and then you would be really streamlining your story and I think how this movie works so well is because and how even though there's lots of scenes with long dialogue lots of scenes where people are crawling around caves and not a whole hell of a lot is happening because you're not always dealing with the same characters it doesn't seem uh, anything but breezy and then you mix in the NRC the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, and the mayor. So you've got different levels of bureaucracy and very serious, this is where the very serious storytelling, because we go from 
almost Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles-esque. There's a thing in the sewer that grabs a woman and her dog, and everyone's yeah. worried about the missing woman, and it turns out there's a whole bunch of missing homeless people, and then all of these quite colorful characters converge between the cop, the journalist, the photographer, and Reverend. I, I always think of him as more of a Reverend than he actually is, AJ, the the guy that runs the soup kitchen, so the Reverend. Mm-hmm. Very colorful characters, but then you have these very stuffed shirt, bureaucratic lawmakers that are hiding something, and they all, everyone knows they're hiding something. Shepard has found some very strange things down there while hanging out with his friends or trying to follow up on them and trying to keep track of the ones that are missing. He's gone down there and he's found something that looks like a space boot and a Mm -hmm. Geiger counter, Wes. Yes, a Geiger counter. A very old uh, Geiger counter that puts Zach Morris's phone to shame. But a Geiger counter nonetheless. And they are determining that something is spiking in the sewers with radiation. But lids not just spiking with radiation, moving when they're staying still. So there's something radioactive in the sewers. They have encountered, um, they've encountered all of this gear down there. More gear than I, I know. I know the 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 nuclear commission guy. He says, "Well, I can't be responsible for everything that washes up into your sewer." But this is all brand new, like state of the art for 1984 equipment. You're not telling me that this just ended up in a landfill or got thrown into the river and then it just got washed up into the sewers. Um, and that boardroom scene is so great. Not only do I love Daniel Stern's just really just standing over them and reading them the riot act. And then they all have to, there is, there is a delicate balance that's going on here where this commission, the mayor, the police, uh, this nuclear committee guy, they're even hiding information from each other. They even don't know the full extent of what everyone is talking about here. And you have a, a Bosch and the Reverend coming in there to basically put the screws to them to try to get them to admit that there's something going on because they're not even admitting that anything is going on. And then in uh, drips and drabs, they pull the information out of them within that meeting. And I dig the fact that it all takes place within the same meeting. It's not like uh, you have to parse it out throughout the different scenes And, and they have to do it this way because there's so many different characters and there's so many different plot lines happening simultaneously. They don't have time to keep going back to fucking offices of different characters to try to get the truth out of them. And even knowing the truth isn't necessarily going to help them because the problem is so much bigger than any of them, I think, realize. And even the people who are in charge of this conspiracy are, you can really tell are flying by the seat of their pants. They don't really know how to deal with it because what has happened has never happened before. I like what you said where you dig the fact that it all happens in one meeting and it's true. It, it didn't dawn on me because it seems spread out only in that we have different characters sort of mentioning that there's something going on, people are missing and we're getting the information in dribs and drabs. It's not that they're chasing the information in piecemeal. Mm-hmm. They have the information and without it being ever an expository dump, 
they mention like, oh, well, the NRC is down there once a year. They do this thing to check radiation levels there for a week every year. And they're like, yeah, but they're still down there. Like, oh, no, that was finished weeks ago. And it's a real natural conversation about what's going on in your city. And if you've ever said it in a city planning meeting, <laughs> it is these little conversations you may have heard for the previous month amongst town folk. Or if you go to the local cafe and listen to the old guys talk about what's going on in the neighborhood, you know, those sorts of conversations are happening quite naturally in this film. But it does all come to a head in this meeting. And it's not even a climax. It's a climactic scene, very much so. And that's mostly owed to Stern's performance, as you said. But it isn't the middle of this movie. This happens kind of early. And it introduces a whole other group of people because they want them to go down there again and investigate. And they're pushed to investigating, putting the screws to them exactly. The city is now demanding they go take another look down there. Yeah. Meanwhile, the photographer character, Cooper, he is... <laughs> He's just living his life. He's in Central Park. Uh, his girlfriend has just said that she is pregnant. They want to keep it. They talk about they. her father has this house in the suburbs. And it's a nice little pleasant conversation. Meanwhile, <laughs> over their shoulder, there is a guy that you would genuinely think is an extra that is not going to be part of the scene until he starts fucking approaching them like he's the goddamn Zodiac killer and crouches down and then you realize that this guy isn't just any dude wearing bright orange converse. He is a journalist and he has um, figured out through the fact that Cooper has photographed these homeless people. What do you really want to what like do you really want to know what's going on with this population that seems to be disappearing that nobody seems to know anything about and the fact that he had garnered cooper had garnered attention from the police was being followed not just the police but it, there's like this fucking weird dude that i can't get a beat on is he a cop or is he like some kind of federal agent but he wears those big aviator sunglasses and eats that coin that uh <laughs> that the reverend is going to use to call the newspapers and shit. It's super disgusting. He doesn't have any dialogue, but he just follows people around. And that's not what the vice squad does. You know, terrorize people. <laughs> he's fucking terrorizing reverend. That's what he's doing. And not only have the people gone missing at this point, the photographs have gone missing. Like it, it becomes a conspiracy on so many levels. People are so interested in finding out what is going on for themselves that the police and the guy that runs the soup kitchen have busted in to this photographer's home to steal straight up steal the photographs that he has taken of the people underground so that they can get a bead on who's fucking still alive partially and there's some very disturbing photos that he has taken because cooper has befriended mrs monroe who is this woman that lives underground with her family of friends and there's a, a real community of people that live in this area, the specific area underground where she lives in the subways. And he has gone down there with her. And part of why she needed a gun was because something had attacked her brother. And he is maimed. And George, of course, has gone down there with his camera. 
and takes photos on their way down there and of the injuries that her brother has sustained. And he's Mm -hmm. trying to convince them to come and get some medical help, but realizes that there's a real push-pull there. They don't trust authorities. They don't have money. They don't have insurance. There would be nothing but questions. They would be separated. There would be all sorts of problems with him seeking medical attention. But he has those photos, and that is what the police and Shepard discover, is that not only are there photos of some of the missing, now missing, homeless there are these photos of someone that has been attacked. So it becomes a priority to get down there, not only to find out what the hell is going on and where these people are being, where the police chief's wife is, but now to find out if this guy has made it out alive. Like it becomes a life and death scenario at that point. You're absolutely right. Um, This sequence that happens when they, when all the nuclear guys go down there, By the way, I love how Bosch is just like, well, how about I was like, I'm telling you what I'm going to do. I'm going to bring a bunch of police officers down there with flamethrowers as if as if flamethrowers are a thing. Like, I know that we've been talking about, like, the militarization of police, but flamethrowers, you just have fucking flamethrowers. I would think I that the, there are ga- gases down there that are flammable. And I mean, sure, flamethrowers are probably a really good deterrent to, like, rats if that's the problem down there. But, like, I don't know. I'd have to rewatch the movie Rats and see if they use flamethrowers against them. But I would think that that's not the right thing you want amongst poo gases. <laughs> poo gas. Um, they use flamethrowers in Night of the Creeps with the police have a flamethrower and there's an entire scene with dick miller in which they're getting the flamethrower out of the police lockout so is there just like did the 1980s police forces just have flamethrowers i'm very curious now i almost want to call up the media line of our local police detachment and ask do you have flamethrowers do you use flamethrowers like because i'm fairly certain uh, flamethrowers in military use have been banned since the 70s. So how would... Did did because the fact that the Geneva Convention ban flamethrower use in the military mean that police officers got like a cut rate flamethrower from the military? They would need them for clearing brush. They would need them for thawing things here. Like, I'm sure that they're within their repertoire. I know that they have them in life-saving capacities to use flamethrowers. They can also rent all of these things a little more readily, too. So they can get at them if they need them. They don't need to have them in their arsenal. But as far as search and rescue, flamethrowers are definitely a thing. They're just not something that's trotted out against varmints. (laughs) The, the the readiness that Bosch is uh, displaying in this film to just burn people alive is remarkable to me because even as a minor threat, he tells one of his police officers, well, how about I just uh, uh, attack you with this flamethrower? And I was like, so like, if the nuclear, if the guy in the hazmat suit doesn't do what you say, you're going to order your police officer to burn him alive? Like, like we thought the sadness was dark yeah i do like the technology used here as well like sir we've seen these space boots and this ancient 
Geiger counter. Now they have CCTV set up somehow. I'm not sure how they're actually running them because we did not have satellites able to have Wi-Fi connections or anything like that at the time. There were some remote viewing capabilities, but they were radio frequencies from what I understand. So it's not like as clear as they're showing us, I don't think, but what do I know? But they do have communication teams set up between those in the sewer and central command. This entire sequence, if I didn't know when aliens came out, I would think that Chud was copying aliens. I, I feel like they're seconds away from screaming into the thing to lay down a suppressive fire. Like the, the there is so much evoking this and not only just alien, but predator Two. sometimes even a little bit more. So predator Two. Uh, you have this bank of monitor and people in silvery hazmat suits and gear that isn't going to work. And then all these people just fucking get instantly murdered. Uh, I love this sequence quite well. It does break quite bad for everyone involved there. Everyone is fucking killed. And they're not just a little bit killed. They're very killed. They're dismembered, ripped apart, eaten. The violence in this movie is surprising in some senses because on the one hand, you are watching a goofy movie called Chud where um, like a, a, like mutants are attacking people in the city, in the city sewers. But on the other hand, it's coupled with uh, very violent images with glimpses of the creatures. Um, we haven't talked much about the Chud creature design. They hide a lot of it because it doesn't look great from... If you were to show this to someone who's not a horror fan, who doesn't like Chud and doesn't like old monster movies, they're going to look at this the same way that uh, you might look at like Power Rangers or something like that. The Just very unconvincing creatures in rubber suits. But what do you think about the Chud's design? I like the Chud's hand very much because we see a lot of that. We see a hell of a lot of that. I like their glowing eyes very much. So, And I definitely agree that it would be power rangers level or the guyver level of monsters here so they are rubbery suits that don't look right and as soon as you get light on them you're not scared of them anymore because they look hokey and rubbery but if you had placed this in front of someone who had only seen like teenagers from mars or something like that or night of the lepus and had thought of those movies as scary because it was it had been uncanny or if you can suspend disbelief and if you're in the zone i mean it could be very very scary so you're comparing this to monsters and creature features and the creature from the black lagoon or something like that where you know what you're seeing but it's scary nevertheless but then you're showing this to 1984 and beyond audience who has been desensitized in every sense of the word to this sort of fear tactic it just simply wouldn't work and it's fun though in that we appreciate this so yeah if you were to show it to someone who's not a horror fan they would think what kind of ridiculous chud is this (laughs) it is a ridiculous chud unfortunately but it could be very scary especially if you were showing this to someone who was like a septuagenarian at the time that hadn't seen a lot of films this would be scary or you're viewing this on cable television 
or in a dim theater straight from film or you're watching this on a little tiny black and white television then it's a whole different world so we're watching it on dvd i'm watching it on itunes or youtube for crying out loud where it can be hd and you can get a blu-ray of this so we have a whole different view of the chud unfortunately um so that sort of thing must have been dampened I remember the first time I saw it, I didn't think of the monsters, the chud, as being hokey or ridiculous as much as I see them as that now. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, that is, that is, when you're a kid, you take things so much more serious. And this film really seems to be in a bit of a conflict with itself because of the fact that the narrative itself is so serious and all of the actors here are game they are they are listen daniel stern is fucking acting his ass off in this movie like very very great performance but you know john heard everybody everybody is is you don't understand we got to get to the bottom of this and it's talking about the environment it's talking about uh, institutions and how they how we treat our homeless population it is it is talking about all of these big important things and then every 15 minutes or so you see a googly-eyed rubber monster like blah, 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 and it and it tries to pull you out of that and i think that if you had a lesser script it becomes bud the chud doesn't it because the sequel really becomes what chud you think chud would be like if someone it, it, like it, that's the the differences but if, uh, listeners if you've never seen chud too i don't recommend it but if you really want to see a humongous departure in aesthetics and theme and even the monsters themselves like i can't think of anything more drastic them chud and chud too there's a fucking musical number in bud the chud just to give you a sense of where you're at it's almost a, a, a difference in quality between house and house two just very different kinds of fucking movies and uh i i think that the character design of the chuds can make you feel like you're watching something hokier. And if you were just super cut all of these monster movies, like if you look at the trailer, you think you're in for something very dumb. But when you sit down and you watch the film, you are watching something that I, I think is quite elevated for, for what the title of chud and what the visuals of the chud monsters are. Um, I could tell you a scene lids that is serious as a heart attack. Bosch fucking finds his wife's body. Yep. And it is horrific. And she is maimed. The, the dog is actually hanging under the photographer's house, for fuck's sakes. We'll get to that in a second. But the police have to hold him back from seeing the body because he's already, like, clambered over bullshit to see this dead body that they've all found before someone realizes because she is so decomposed and maimed that they don't recognize right away and it's not until he's in front of her that they say oh shit it's his wife and mm -hmm. it's just a very well done scene actually very well blocked that way and very well written in that 
he would have been just a hair away from being saved seeing her body the way he found it the way he feared he would find it i'm sure but yeah really gory and lives up to the other injuries that we've seen so far very very relentless gory cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers these things are that we're dealing with very dangerous (laughs) although they got a little bit of uh you know you don't get any dessert because you didn't finish your meat syndrome you know what i'm saying because they don't eat all of the bodies and sometimes it looks like you know when i was eating something when i was a little kid and i would just sort of spread it around my plate so it looked like I ate something. That's what the chuds do. They just like, there's just body parts just strewn about an entire room and you're just like, hang on a sec, chuds. You didn't eat anything. You spread it around. You want your doggy dessert because <laughs> it's a doggy dog world. They did not have their doggy dog world dessert either, unfortunately. <laughs> they left it hanging almost like a body discovery underneath the photographer's house because the photographer's wife keeps misplacing stuff. They just moved and they have a bunch of stuff in the basement and storage and stuff in their apartment. And she's like getting ready for a photo shoot or getting ready for whatever or going to see the OBGYN or whatever it is that she's doing. And she's gone down there and heard weird sounds from a trap door. And this is a question I would have of many New Yorkers. If there's anyone living downtown New York, please let me know. Do you have a secret trap door in your basement that leads to the sewers or the tunnels because it seems quite a few places have these fucking trap doors that just lead to the sewers which to me city planning wise shouldn't be allowed but she has a trap door that leads into the fucking sewers so eventually she opens it and finds the dog under there and calls the police because someone has left a dead dog hanging in her basement did you um did your old house in hintonburg have a door that went your a basement door was there a door that went into your neighbor's basement no and there was no evidence of ever being such a door oh weird i'm remembering somebody somebody i knew had a basement in a place that was like your old place on hintonburg and it i was like what's that door i was like that door goes to the neighbor's basement and you're like what's stopping you from going in there nothing nothing was stopping you from going in there uh I thought it was really fucking weird. But this is also really weird because I, I wonder, what is it specifically about Cooper and the the Chuds where, where they would specific... Because it seems like the Chuds are specifically attacking. Now, we don't know. There, there could be Chuds attacking people in all kinds of New York apartment buildings. And we they're just... That's not in the movie. But if you want me to think that the it's in the movie, you should put it in the movie. Because right now, it just looks like the Chuds are specifically attacking Cooper's place. So they're like, you took photos. Or hang a dog in their basement to send them a message. Like, what is it about the Chuds specifically attacking Cooper's uh, girlfriend slash fiance? Like, I I just could never really understand why she was getting specifically attacked. Only because of writer's whimsy, where they need to tie plot lines together, right? You know, they can't, can't just mm-hmm. have her being pregnant and safe. No way, man. Gotta, gotta figure out a threat <laughs> there. And it doesn't seem she's very close to the soup kitchen. Like, they're not, like, down around the corner from one another. Like, no. she has to drive quite a way to get to where all the shit ends up going down downtown. 
So it's not like they're very close. And sure, all the tunnels lead somewhere, right? Like maybe, maybe it is that not every single apartment has a, a trap door that leads to the sewers. And she is one of the only egresses that isn't a manhole cover. So maybe, maybe it's just that they unfortunately got this house and it's one of the only places they do surface. I'm not really sure, but it does seem just way too convenient, doesn't it? It does, particularly um, the shower scene in which a geyser of blood comes up from the drain. I, I was watching that movie last night, and, and to this day, I can't say for 100% why that happened. What what was the blood? It wasn't the dog, because the dog was hanging there. It wasn't the chud, unless we're led to believe that there's a chud in her drain. So what is the blood? That makes you no know? sense. It makes no sense. It's it's just to cover a naked woman in blood. That's why that scene exists. Not a bad reason to have a scene in your movie, but a little bit of logic might have helped. Um, Cooper, meanwhile, is with this journalist who is going to get fucking pulled to his death. Too sweet. Um, it it kind of reminds me of, of like once upon a time in Chinatown where like, it's just like random monsters coming out of sewer holes and like grabbing people and they just die. Um, and that's where finally, finally, you know, Bosch is up on the surface trying to like figure sh shit out. The Reverend is down there into the, into the sewers, Daniel Stern, because he, th he's got to like take matters into his own hand and he wants to save the homeless population because when all is said and done, there are still homeless people down there that are not getting fucking helped and aren't being warned that any of this stuff is happening. And the Reverend literally speaks their language because some of them are really dealing with uh, mental illness and he's the one that can communicate on their level to make them understand that they are not safe. It doesn't really help because he is going to get locked down there by fucking Mr. Aviator Sunglasses. Mr. Aviator Sunglasses is no help at all. And I'm glad he has no lines because it's easier to hate him even more. And he knows what's going to go on down there. He knows they're going to fill the sewers with gas and blow the fucking downtown up. So locking him down there is homicide. It's, it's straight up homicide. So it's just cruel, and I, I, I kind of don't get why he would be so cruel. Just hating homeless people and those who help them has a real chip on his shoulder. I think it's those because are not his orders. The like, I yeah, it's it's hard to say. I think it's just because of um, the Reverend has just threatened to whistleblow. Like he he's threatened to go to the papers multiple times. So maybe that's what it is. And he's just trying to tie up a loose end, perhaps. Uh, it's strange because we don't really ever see his character again. And you know he's scummy because he he eats change and wears aviators and has a, a collared, like a polo shirt, a Lacoste. It's got the little alligator on it. So you're like, oh, this guy's scum. He's like uh, preppy. And, but thankfully it allows my uh my prequel the home alone to happen because john hurd and daniel stern get to have a bunch of scenes together now as a photographer and the soup kitchen guy who both know that this conspiracy is going on who are now just trying to get out of the sewers while these uh the mayor and and the nuclear committee guy and uh have this genius plan they're just gonna flood the sewers with gas 
Which is insane. Now Cooper's wife knows that he's down there and needs to come down and, and find him and warn him at the very least. Which is very tricky because everything, all of the sewers have now been sealed, if not locked behind people. They have driven trucks over top of the manhole so you couldn't push your way up. So any chance for escape has been ruined. And it is a vast thing. I'm sure they could just run for miles in sewers and find something that isn't. But would they escape not only the gas, but the chud themselves who are hot on their heels? They are being attacked. Now, Cooper's wife was attacked in her townhome because they came up through the sewers and came into her house and were attacking her before she fled. So they're definitely out for blood. Maybe they've been hungry. Maybe there's less homeless people down there and no more nuclear guys to eat. So they're well, on the hunt. There's two things I love about um, her fighting and killing that chud. One, um, the whole time in the apartment, they just had swords. They just had swords on the wall. And like Chekhov's gun, when there's a sword in the first scene, you better use it by the last scene. And she does. And just speaking of like random things that the chuds do it seems like when she kills him he's mutating further he's becoming like a henrietta from evil dead 2 just stretching its neck out longer and i'm watching that again wondering what's the purpose what is actually happening here is it just a random mutation are there because uh, i was watching this with with cass and and they asked me why why was it doing that and i said there's no context to it there is no there's no reason why there, i suppose to make it more of a there might be a practical reason like if you need to show a decapitation perhaps you need a different apparatus to do that so it's just easier to cut something's head off when there's not an actor inside of it uh, and then you can show the 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 neck stump and the oozing radioactive green blood and it's just a lot simpler to do it that way. Or maybe there's something that we don't know. One thing that we haven't touched on that I think is actually important to mention, these chuds, they are people. If you wonder where a lot of the homeless population is, they are turning into the chuds. So much like zombies, if you get bit or uh, and it, you leave it to fester long enough, you will mutate into uh, a chud yourself. So that's also what's going on with these things. Yeah, we get to see some light transformation scenes, which is nice. Now, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't she go to use the phone and then rush away from the phone with it in her hand and pull it out of the wall? Doesn't that happens in another film? I believe it does. does it happen uh, in Laid to Rest? You are absolutely correct. And if uh, and if ever there were something more stupid that a fucking protagonist can do in a horror movie it's pull the goddamn phone out of the wall it happens in chud and it happens in laid to rest at least chud has more of an excuse because she's panicked there's a thing trying to literally break down her door in laid to rest uh that dippy chick is just wandering around in a daze and then just pulls the goddamn phone out of the cord uh, out of out of the wall because she's a moron and this seemed to be like a trip this was yeah she this sort was... of tripped and too much tension on the phone cord by accident at mm -hmm. the worst possible time yeah 
the the funny thing is she takes a she takes a beat to with the frayed wire to just kind of like poke it at the bottom of the phone and I'm like lady come on you have to know that you fucked that up that's not gonna work yeah a little a little moment of levity or that oh shit feeling for the audience you know I, I like I like that the the creature here does get a little goony and I don't know 100% if it's them beginning to lean into how this monster looks perhaps they hadn't achieved that sort of level of fear factor that they'd been going for and they're like well fuck it we'll just make him Mr. Stretch and let him do whatever goony shit we can accomplish here yeah. to make this a little more goony because he's also the only Chud wearing a shirt like he's just like walking around in like a black long sleeve <laughs> It's really the only scene where the monster does come across as a little bit awkward. You know, it's not a flying baby yeah. face or whatever a really awkward goony monsters I could think of. But it does come across as fairly goony. Otherwise, when we are seeing their leftovers strewn around or their hands and their claws that look quite feral like any of the more feral poses that we see of the monster and leading up to the reveal of the monster are very, very well done, I think. And it is a scary looking monster. The times in which the chuds look more like puppets, I think they're a little bit more effective. It's hard to, it's, it's just hard to make something look good because it, you're going to look like, like Guyver is such a good, reference that you made that it, it, it's so that or swamp thing like when Wes Craven did the, the live action swamp thing movie there's that too just it's just when we say these films dear listeners it's that gives you a sense of what we're evoking here it's a fucking dude in a rubber suit and in this case it's a dude in a rubber head and rubber gloves and a shirt just sort of lumbering around and there's a scene that happens a little bit later, which I think is a lot more effective uh, and uh, more intimidating at the diner where we get a cameo lids by yes, Mr. I was just gonna John come. Goodman. I was just going to come to this. I love this and I love his maybe forced accent because I'm not really clear on where he originates from. But yeah, mm-hmm. John Goodman as a cop at a diner. With Jay Thomas, whoever the hell Jay Thomas is. The guy sitting next to, to John Goodman. You want to know something that I was I was thinking of? When you have an actor who is going to go on to be a huge fucking success, and you see them in these bit parts, and you see them as absolutely winning their scene, there's tons of other characters in that scene, he stands out the most, and he would have done this before he was super famous. Like, this was before Roseanne. This was before King Ralph. This was before all that kind of shit. And and it was a dude that was like, I'm just a better actor than literally everyone else in this scene. And that's how come I'm going to be extremely memorable. Like, all my dialogue, the accent that I'm putting on. And he's sitting beside whoever the hell Jay Thomas is, in quotation marks, I say, who mm-hmm. had starred in Mork and Mindy, a very popular television show in the the late 70s and he had been on cheers he 
ended up being on, in Mr. Holland's opus and Santa Claus 2 and the subsequent Santa Claus. He was an annual guest on The Late Show with David Letterman. And I'm just reading this from his Wikipedia, but the title character in The Lone Ranger. So I, maybe those aren't my kinds of films, but I'm sure a lot of other people would recognize him just as much as John Goodman. But John Goodman, I mean... Everyone else pales in comparison, even in this very early scene, which could have very well been his first role, for all I know. He's so yeah. young, and it's great to see that that sort of pizzazz has never died. Oh, my God. It's so great. And it, 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 to the point in which I had forgotten until yesterday that, oh, my God, he like he and everyone in that diner die in that scene. And I didn't realize that but what i like about this is it shows a big attack by these chuds who are getting hungrier and are no longer going to be satisfied by picking off uh any sort of homeless population that seems to be wandering down into the underground they need to go out and they need to start getting more food and that's exactly what happens here. And this is something that I think is expertly done because, you know, much like any sort of horror, anything that takes place in a large metropolitan city, how do you keep this quiet? Sure, if, if the homeless population starts vanishing, no one really notices except for the other homeless people. And they don't say anything because they would believe that no one would care or take them seriously. And it would be hard to argue with that logic because we know how society is when all of a sudden a police uh, detective's wife goes missing listen people go missing all the time we can't just say that a monster is going to do that so this is all happening on an individual basis some kid's grandfather gets eaten but it's the only eyewitness is a little girl you can't can't take that seriously this is a huge fucking event in which it's almost impossible to cover it up. Maybe not to say exactly what happened, but a dozen people have been brutally killed and pulled into the sewers. An entire diner has been destroyed. There's a hundred people uh, behind police blockades. Well, this is all going on. And this just confirms with the uh, people, the powers that be, it's time to implement gas sewer killy plan, which, you know, I think it was their official plan because they are not just uh, talking about a random mutation that occurred lids because of some red tape that they couldn't get behind, that they couldn't move nuclear materials out of the city. No, no, no lids because Chud cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers is not the true acronym. And I muddled my way through the acronym earlier in this, uh, but could you lay it down for us? Once and for all, what is the true acronym mean? The Contamination Hazard Urban Disposal. They had been stockpiling radioactive waste down there for so long. Unbeknownst, they probably don't go down there every year to check on the naturally occurring radon levels or whatever the hell. They go down there to dump more fucking shit down there that has been leaking and they've planned on moving it, but then they stop planning on moving it and they hit some red tape, you know, and people have been living amongst this shit for years down there. And it's been a massive cover up all of this time. Yes. And well, Bosch is not going to take it anymore. Now, the Reverend and uh, Cooper are trapped underground. They're trying to escape, but the problem is, is the police officers have started sealing everything. Sometimes 
you know, we get a sense that they might have locked sewer grates or, or access hatchways or something like that. But in one case, the big sewer lid, uh, the main way to get out of there, they seem to have just driven an ambulance over it and are using that to hold down the area because it's not so much we need to trap the Reverend and Cooper down there so they don't talk. It's more the chuds are going to be looking for a way to escape the gas because they're suffocating. And so we need to close off all accesses so the Chuds can get down there. And it's too risky to let Cooper and the Reverend out of there. And in particular, that the nuclear waste management guy needs to protect his own ass about this conspiracy, that the true conspiracy that he has been hiding, um, which is great because it's a revelation that comes that you didn't need to know truly need to know because as the audience i would have been satisfied with the explanation that we were given in the meeting and then you want to keep it quiet because why wouldn't you want to keep it quiet because look at all those fucking monsters you got crawling around down there you can look like a jackass if those things get out but to add the extra layer on towards the very end that on top of that this wasn't a matter of well our hands were tied and it was an accident we didn't mean to and now we're trying to fix it this was deliberate Maybe they weren't deliberately trying to create chuds, but they were deliberately leaving that nuclear waste to, uh, they weren't concerned with what it might do to the environment, which is, you know, tale as old as time, or at least nuclear waste. And he's going to do whatever it takes to keep Bosch quiet. And Bosch says, what are you going to do? Like, you, how are you going to like cover up killing a cop? And he's like, I don't know, but I, I, I have to basically. And, you know, in the in the ensuing trouble, uh, Bosch does uh, manage to get that ambulance off of the sewer grate, but he is shot in the process. And uh, I always forget that, you know, spoilers, he does not die at the end of that movie. No, even with some nice one-liners. I, I really enjoy how they got in touch with them, too, because we're in the age before cell phones. It's not like... Cooper and Shepard could just like give him a call and be like, dude, we're totally stuck in the fucking sewers. Do something. Uh, mm -hmm. They have to find the discarded camera equipment, camera equipment from the flamethrower mm -hmm. gang and the uh, NCR guys. So they get in touch with the sleepy guy who's still somehow manning the CCTVs above ground <laughs> that get in touch with the cops. So it's a yeah. really cool way that they get in touch with one another and it is actually very creepy because they have this like low light shitty camera and they're like hey is there anyone there it, it's actually unsettling um via v rubber suit guy so we do have some very genuinely creepy and scary moments leading up to this very tense gunfight that goes on where it, it, in almost like superhero way there are some nice shot sort of uh lines thrown out while Bosch is like bleeding out on the New York City streets but <laughs> it does work out quite well with a Michael Bay-esque explosion yeah there's actually a really nice shot of uh Daniel Stern standing there while Cooper and his wife hug and uh everything's going to be okay and uh th the ambulance is uh, lighting them all in, in, in flames uh, it looks pretty good pretty good actually um, I also wanted to say uh, since you reminded me about the uh, closed circuit 
TV scene in which, you know, they need to get the headset. That severed head looks great. It really, really does. It really does. And it is harrowing having to retrieve the headset from this head. Yeah, there is, you know, a, like I said, a, up against rubber suit guy, really good gore here and there within this film. And it, you know, sort of belies its title again in that you'd almost think it's like ghoulies. You know, it's going to be for kids. It's going to be gremlins level. Maybe it's going to have something in a blender or whatever. It won't be too gross. Maybe it'll have an unsettling story about a Santa trapped in the chimney and her dad died. Or whatever, <laughs> like, unsettling moment. But no, it's pretty much wall-to-wall -wall unsettling. And then if you get to the eco-horror of it all, that, you know what, the, the government doesn't care about us. We're all just test animals. And they would blow up a population of homeless people without a care let alone other people that might be down there. They would kill cops to save their ass. You know, that that is fairly terrifying, if you ask me. So this movie has a, so much going for it. I, I wish it just would have had a different title or something, but at least there are so many horror affectionados that have uh, embraced this film year after year. And upon rewatching it, like the last time I rewatched it, it struck me at what a serious fucking movie it is. And I wish that that was more of its legacy than Bud the Chud. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, that is my feeling as well. I think between the title and what the Chuds are, you can forget that underneath it all, it's a very serious film. And I've read reviews of this that downplay the story elements if you look at uh, old reviews from when this film first came out they said that the story it, the, the story tries to go for something meaningful but it falls flat it sounds empty or they don't go deep enough and i completely disagree i 100% think that this script is worthy of serious consideration and you have to just put the title and the fact that there's cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers in one side of it and say just because it sounds silly and they might look a little dopey doesn't mean that everyone else wasn't bringing their A game to a story that if you had the wrong script or the wrong actors, it would, you know, it would just be spookies or it would just be Hobgoblin or something like that. Absolutely agreed. Uh, I wish that it was looked at through other eyes, but looking at the Wikipedia yet again, it won, it won awards when it first came out, and that's mm -hmm. what really matters, is when real fans who know what they're looking at can review a film, and it's not people who review films in general, and not ha that, they, that people have it out for the uh, sci-fi or horror genre, but are perhaps expecting something different. Uh, don't treat it like a sophomoric entry those who take it as seriously as we do because we take chud so very seriously here at dead Air. hell yeah i super awesome thank you to thomas i hope you enjoyed us chit-chatting about this film and thanks for the request as ever because i'm shocked we had not gotten to this movie before me too as a matter of fact in when he had suggested that we had done it initially I had to take a beat and think about it and say, wait, hang on a second. This this seems like a season one of Dead Air type film where we would have tackled some 80s creature feature goodness. Uh, 
but uh, I'm absolutely glad that he did. But what do we got next for him? Coming up next, we're going to fucking rocket into the common era. Outside of 1985, we're going straight to the cities of the year, what, 2020, I believe, with Spree. Mm -hmm. We both, Les and I, have been podcasting for a very long time. We don't live stream. I have a YouTube show. Wes has other comic book endeavors, but we're not like, mm, we're not like influencers or we're not like chasing the great Google ring in the sky or whatever, like so many people are out there. So I found this particular film spree very enchanting in that it is surreal. And it is uh, very true to life, the way that some of these people on social media things, especially TikTok, behave with wanting to capture attention and get followers. And it is that, that desperate cry for followers and attention that comes through so distinctly and so well in Spree. i just very excited to talk about it in the, you know, milieu of this common era and being online as we are you know what click like share our show you can get us wherever you hang out online splatterpictures.net do it guys you know leave comments react <laughs> uh in all seriousness please do all that comment share you can find me on twitter west dead or Nipe. and um and also you have uh you know Lots of success with uh, with typical books and stuff like that. So, what is mm -hmm. cool? I was actually recognized to a certain degree. It's the Horror Writers Association Bram Stoker Awards Weekend at StokerCon, and it is a virtual convention again this year. Even though people are meeting in Denver, Colorado, so it is like a hybrid convention. There's live events and online events. And someone had messaged me in the chat rooms there at the virtual convention was like, hey, are you Lydia from Typical Books? I watch your show and one of the better review shows for horror. And I was like, oh, look at me. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was very cool to connect with somebody like that. And um, I wouldn't say very successful. Thank you for saying that. But yeah, being online as long as we have, we rarely talk about it in that insidious nature. Um, the internet's been fairly good to us. It's allowing us to talk to one another right now. That's really yeah. the extent of it. You know, we don't, uh, we don't clout chase online necessarily. So like, it's weird to look at it from that other side, I think. So I think we're going to have fun with Spree. And after that, we're going to go back in time to some foundations of horror with intruders, I believe. Are we not? Or with intruder singular yes but yeah i i will say this one thing about social media cloud if ever and mark my words listeners if ever i go viral and become a popular internet influence sensation i will become a fucking unhinged monster never let it happen i know me i know what i'm like don't look ever just don't look I'm warning you. And on that note, go and check out my friend Andy Negatives, friend of the show, does our intro and outro music on TikTok. Yeah. I, I, I hear that he won't give up. He will not give up. He'll let you know that a few times. On that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm Typical Lydia. 
and you've been listening to Dead Air.